I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel. Streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. What's up? Welcome back to Barton and Buds. Uh, we are recording here on Sunday morning. Uh, a few things came up. Missed the Sunday. Or, excuse me. Monday morning, missed our Sunday night recording. We are fresh off the playoff announcements. We got uh, Clark Lee is the new head coach at Vanderbilt. We got Auburn seems to be narrowing things in their head coaching search. We've got uh, playoff debates. Uh, we're going to go a little, I don't, we're not, we're not going to call it playoff matchups today, right? But we're, we're going to go a little more big picture on just a few of the things that have been um, sort of the, the bugs in our heads right now that we want to get out. Um, so how are you? How was your, how was your big playoff reveal party? Um, you know, was the, was it as suspenseful as you'd hoped it would be? It, it was, uh, it was great, man. I, I, I had a tweet go semi-viral, uh, pointed out that a and was your tweet? I didn't see that. What was your oh, viral tweet? Oh, uh, A&M had more wins over teams, which fired its coach than it did over teams with winning records. Oh, those Aggies that got on your ass were, that one, didn't they? Yeah, Lucci was loving that, and uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, that that was. I mean, it is what it is. I, I I think the BCS really could have taken care of this this year, to be honest. Like, if you just said, "Hey, we're going to fast forward and we're going to play Clemson, Bama," that that seems to me like 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 the two best teams. The the issue this year was just figuring out that fourth team. Yeah. Okay, let, let's just start here. And I know you have some thoughts on this, and and I don't want to steal your thunder on this. Um, so I, I'll, I'll cede the floor to you and kind of let you go where you want with this. I will say, as a, um, a, a, a sort of a disclaimer, and I think, I don't know, I'm not sure if this is where you're going or if you agree with this, but like I am, and I think this year hammers it home for me as much as any. I am very much in favor now of an 18 playoff. Like, like I have, could I, I've, I've had some indifference about it in the past, but something about this cycle um, has, has pushed me to the side of very much of the belief an 18 playoff is necessary. And there's a few reasons for that. We can get into it, but what what's, Again, we were talking about this a little before the show, so I I, I don't want to steal your thunder here. But w- where would you take this discussion? So I I'm a little bit worried about the sport of of college football, right? I, I think this year I don't want to call it a sham of a year, but certain elements uh, of it to me were, were were kind of you know sham ish, and it really kind of exposed this is really a business, and, and we know it is, but we have to kind of keep up the facade that everybody has a chance and that everybody needs to be interested in, in, in this sport. And I think you have some, some problematic things happening. We, we are not going to have a national champion from West of the Mississippi river for the 15th year in a row. Oh, Oh five, Texas was the last team to do that. The PAC 12 hasn't made it into the playoff in what the last four years, you know, you have Cincinnati, which these aren't opponent adjusted numbers, but they're still pretty good. Number one defense in the country and, and a top 20 offense you know, really un- unchallenged for the most part this year, they, they, they go undefeated. They don't have a shot to, to get in under the current system. I, I think for the good of the sport and to keep this sport a, a sport that is nationally relevant and that people care about across the country, we need to keep up 
the the idea, if not the reality, that everybody has a shot to win the title if if they do what they're supposed to do. If they take care of business, they go undefeated. If if, if they're if they're a dominant team, um, and I think that would keep more interest throughout the sport nationally. I, I worry that this sport is becoming too regional in terms of interest. It's been regional in terms of dominance for a long time, but ultimately. I think that weighs on things. And if you at least allow people to get into the dance by going to an eight-team playoff, and, and I don't say that because I think there are eight teams that can win win the title. In fact, this year, I think if that's the reason why you're you're going to an eight-team playoff, if you think we actually have eight teams that can really win it, I strongly disagree with you. I think this year we have probably the, the least number of teams who could legitimately win it in, in quite a while. But I think it's about keeping that belief alive in fans um, it would also bring, I think, a little bit more drama to some of these playoff weekends. Uh, with A, auto bids, if you have like an upset champion in some of these conference championship games, assuming, of course, that we would put some kind of thing into where like if, even if you win the conference, you have to be in the top 15 as well to get in. That way we don't have you know some team, team with five losses getting in just because they won the league. Uh, but it would also – you would probably have to play these these opening round games – on campus, which a lot, brings a little more of the collegial feel to it, and it gives you incentive to continue to play really, really well down the stretch. You, you can't just coast because you're going to want to get that game against the number eight seed, right? Like Bama's going to want to play Cincinnati or whomever the, the, the at-large is, and they're going to want to play them in Tuscaloosa. So they're they're going to keep their starters, and they're going to keep playing you know, really hard. Uh, I, I don't think they're just going to start to coast and, and not care. So I, I do think eight makes more sense here. And, and I used to not be an eight guy, but I'm I'm just worried about this sport, man, as far as people's interest in it. 100%. I agree with everything you're saying there. And I, and it's, and eight is the number uh, more so than six. I used to be like, all right, we're going four, all right, maybe you go to six. Because here's the thing. You're right. The There's only two teams that can win the national championship this year, uh, barring something crazy, barring a, a huge shock. And so getting to eight is not about including all the potential national champions. It's just about broadening the interest and broadening the conversation beyond the four. And, and so if you have, if you go eight and you have five conference champion auto bids, then the conference championship race is significantly more interesting throughout the season. If Northwestern upsets Ohio State and Northwestern gets the Big Ten auto bid, then just like the NCAA tournament, that that all of a sudden creates this conversation about, well, who is, is Ohio State getting that large bid? Who are they bumping out? Um, Northwestern has something to play for. Iowa or whoever is contending for that Big Ten West opportunity has something to play for. Um, there's just a lot more season long, you know, intrigue to, to sort of keep people invested hundred uh, percent. First round of those games are on college campuses, whatever. Like, I don't know how the revenue were. I don't know. Like split the revenue, however you need to, but just the collegiate atmosphere, the environment that that would create, an, a, a playoff game on a college campus would be bonkers, like would be awesome. Let's do it. And so, you know, there's plenty of like, you're, there's plenty of economic benefits that a, that a college town would receive. Yeah, again, share the gate, whatever, whatever you need to do on that front, do it, but, but get it on a college campus. And And you're right. The idea that like, um, Alabama playing Cincinnati as a one versus eight or whoever it would be as, as some throwaway game. Look, that that's a Alabama. It's important to get that one seed because you're probably going to play a G five team and you're probably going to get an easy, easy first round game. And really no one else is getting an easy first round game. And, and so there is, there is real like seeding is very important, especially if the first four seeds are getting a home game as opposed to the, 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 the five through eight. So it's, it's, it's not about like, oh, the fifth best team should have, like A&M got screwed. They should have gotten in Cincinnati got screwed. They should have gotten in. Like th- th- those teams aren't good enough to win a national championship this year. I don't, I don't, I'm not really like crying tears for them 
as much as I just want this thing to be more inclusive and and be and be a sport where you are winning it on the field. Like I, I yeah, Cincinnati has no shot at being Bama, but I, I but l- let's let them decide that. Let's let Cincinnati like prove one way or the other, or let's let Bama prove one way or the other. They have no shot of beating them. Like let's decide it on the field instead of this farce sham shamocracy. What is it? The, the, uh, like this, these, these guys who are sitting in that conference room with the windows drawn, watching games on TV a big copy. screen TV, like, give me a break, man. Like, let's just, just take, take the people out of it. Conference champs, you got two at-large bids. So, you you know, you can have the, have the committee if you want to, I guess, whatever. But, but I'm, 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 I've over the last 36 hours, I've become totally convicted in this idea. I think it was, I think it was driven by the picture of the guys in the, the playoff committee watching the game. It's like, get those guys out of here. They missed a tremendous marketing opportunity to not have like Roy Hill or Lazy Boy or somebody come in there with some serious recliners and, and and allow these folks to be posted up in the recliner watching the game. Like who is going to sit in, in, in that ballroom chair for nine hours watching the game? Like, like what, what are you, are you trying to prove to us? Like you're flying down here for this Spartan existence. It, it like I, I would, I, I had to sit in that, in that, the, the chair in, in the, in, on the anchor desk in Lauderdale. And I was a hell of a lot more comfortable than that for, for eight or nine hours on signing day, just like you did. Can you imagine sitting in a ballroom chair for nine hours? They look like hostages. They look like like that being on the playoff committee. If that's what you have to do every weekend, sit in a room with no windows, six feet apart at conference with no food, no drink in there. Just, just hotel ballroom with big screen TVs. It sounds terrible with a bunch of, with a bunch of old athletic directors. It's sweet life. Oh, so, I so to, bad. I used to dream of that. Like, it sounded so awesome to be on the college ball playoff committee until I found out that's what, the, that's what it is. Um, so I have a confession to make. Uh, we had to write our predictions for the, uh, the games, uh, or, or for, for the playoff games. We had to send them in to Chris Hummer. He, he tabulated them and put them all together. For the uh, Alabama-Notre Dame game, I actually wrote mine before they made their announcement. I, I think I think you might have saw this, but I, I just put the word uh, Notre Dame slash Texas A and M in there because they're really pretty similar teams to me in, in terms of, of style. I wrote I'll take Alabama by three scores. Nick Saban's teams almost never lose to teams which are unable to repeatedly win one on one matches on the outside. And Notre Dame slash Texas A and M does not have dangerous threats at the receiver position. In fact, the most dangerous pass catching threats for the Irish slash Aggies are the tight ends. That won't get it done against Alabama. I'd expect Notre Dame slash Texas A and M to try to slow the game down, <laughs> limit possessions. But ultimately, this is Alabama hitting home runs and Notre Dame slash AM hitting singles and doubles, which honestly, I stand by that. I, I think that they like yeah. they're just they're not explosive and they both have good defense and they're going to try to run the ball and slow the game down. But I, I do want to bring this up. I, I was a little bit wrong here. Um, Notre Dame is not lacking for explosiveness through the air in the same way that that AM is. Like they're not explosive, but they're not that level of not explosive. So the Irish were 69th in Bill Connolly's uh, passing explosiveness ratings. Texas A&M was 108th. And I went back and looked at this. So here are their rankings in passing explosiveness since Jameis. This is not A&M's rankings. These are, uh, uh, these are the rankings for, uh, uh, for, for Jimbo since he had, uh, since he had Jameis. So 2015 to now. 78th, 63rd, 61st, 97th, 118th, 108th. And I don't know that this offense is less explosive now than it used to be. Like, like, is it really that much worse the last three years than it was the prior three? I have a hard time thinking that. I just think the rest of the sport has found it easier to get more explosive because they're 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 designing shot plays and using the RPO game better. And AM is, is still running what they've been running. And they're very, very, very good in other areas. But this is, I think, just relative to the rest of the sport, they're less explosive through the air than they used to be. And that's an issue. Yeah, I think the sport, I mean, the sport has changed and Jimbo has hasn't really. Not not in not, not in a significant way. Um, but that is, I, I mean, I've I've thought for a while that 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 Notre Dame 
and A&M team were very similar, both in the way they won and, and just sort of the, you know, the, the teams they beat, honestly, the resume even is, is, is similar in a lot of ways. Um, so, and then even at the quarterback position, they kind of have similar skill sets. Um, uh, defensively, I mean, they've got defensive coordinators that are from the same tree, yeah. like they're running the same stuff. Like they're very similar and, and, and defense being the strengths really of both teams. Um, so, and look, the, the, the A&M thing with them not getting in the playoffs, like they're missing an opportunity for a rematch with a team that got beat by 28 by, um, you know, and, and, and so at least in that sense, you know, you can understand the argument of, all right, Notre Dame did get a win over Clemson. Notre Dame's about to play an Alabama team that they're 20 point underdogs too, but they're going to get a shot that A&M's already had at one point. So, um, but I thought that was a good, that was a good observation by you. And I do think it's more representative of the way the, like, I don't think that Jimbo Fisher has gotten less explosive through the years. I, I feel like the, everyone else has gotten more explosive. Um, and he's, he's just sort of content chugging along. In fairness, we should also note they, they had some injuries and, and some opt-outs at, at the receiver position you know, early in the year, which is impacted. Like, I, I don't I don't think they would be 108th if they had their full complement of receivers. I'm just not really confident they'd be, you know, top third of explosive just based on, on what we've seen. So we'll have to see how, how that offense evolves there in College Station. Um, I want to float something by you. Is there any way you think a G5 team could get into the college ball playoff under the current setup? 100% no. Um, now, okay, so no, I don't think so, but I am, I will, I will allow you to state your case on, on how it is possible, on what, on what in, in fantasy land would allow a G5 team to get in. So is that because you don't think they're good enough or because you think it's rigged or both? I think that the, that the subconscious bias I don't think it's rigged in the sense where like they are going where there's there's even implicitly any sort of um mandate to keep the G5 out. But I think that each individual going in that into that room and part of it is based on you know in the the way that that committee is constructed and the human beings that is is constructed with all come from essentially a power five background. And so Again, I don't think that it is, um, you know, in, in, intentional in any way. But I think that the the subconscious biases they bring in are such that it would be very, very difficult for one, much less a, a, a collective of them, to come to the conclusion that a G five team is better than a Power five team, unless there was just an in, like perfect storm. Um, so. I guess rigged, but only in a very like unintentional subconscious sort of way. I, I was really thinking about this. Like, and I, I, and by the way, I, I also probably agree with those, that subconscious. Like, I don't think a group of five team is good enough. And yet I understand the idea of like, who cares what I think, let it happen on the field, uh, which is why, again, back to the 18 playoff deal, but go ahead. Right. I, I think, but I don't. I don't 100% know. I, I can't right. 100% dismiss that they could, you know, win a one-off game, mm-hmm. et cetera. I, this is why I, I kind of agree with you. I think it's probably about 95% chance that, that they, they can't get one in. I think there's a very outside chance that something could happen where you get one in. And and to me, there there are two examples where, where this maybe could have worked. So in 2015, Houston won the American. It beat, uh, what, Oklahoma that year. Early on, got a lot of hype. Tom Herman, former national championship offensive coordinator, you know, really, really, really hot name. They 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 had a, a big time quarterback, at least by by college standards, and and they were they were very exciting. You know, a, a defense that had a lot of playmakers on it. They go thirteen and one. They win. They, they beat Florida State in the New Year's Six Bowl. They start the next year ranked pretty high, right? They they beat Lamar Jackson. I I think that. I think that there are some elements here where maybe I think the committee would be forced to put somebody in. And that would be 
all right, the team has a tremendous year the year prior. They they you know beat Power Five teams convincingly. They do it in the New Year's Six Bowl. That they really show okay, like guys, we we belong. Thus, they start the next year really high. So they have that kind of initial poll bias in their favor as opposed to against them, like it normally is. Then I, I think that they have to absolutely ragdoll their conference, basically in a way that they are just like dismissive of their own league and say, guys, we we are we are doing to our G five league what you think a P five like a top P five team would do to this G5 league, but we're winning games by an average of three or four scores. You know, we, we, are, we are not in jeopardy of losing in any of these games. And I think they probably need to have a marquee win uh, over a P5 team in that year. If if that Houston team that went 13-1 and in 2015, if that Houston team in 2016 had run the table, I, I think it's I, I think it would have probably been too much to turn down. The thing is, they, they went 9-4. and four. You know, but like if, if you... If you go 13 and 1, you start the year in, in in the top 10, you run the table, you go undefeated. I think that at that point, the committee might have looked around and said, man, if we don't put this team in, this this really looks rigged. Cincinnati, on the other hand, this year is not a sexy team. You know what I mean? A lot of guys can't name any, any players on that team. Maybe they know Desmond Ritter. But that's I think that that's I think like they got like they put a little makeup on. Like they got they've got their prettiest dress out and they started you know, the offense started g- g- going off. Like they, they were the old, like, um, you know, movie, a girl in overalls and pigtails and oh, she's she has all her makeover and goes to the prom and yeah, all that. She's all that. <laughs> and then like, they started, they started playing some offense. And so I, I, I think by the end of the year that the team, the team was uh, turning some heads walking down the sidewalk. I just think you need to do that for like a full year the year prior so you can, can start higher like Cincinnati did not start high enough I think to be really considered by the committee as crazy as that is so the one so there's a I, I think there's a couple things that I think need to be like it has to be a perfect storm one and like yes I think they have to be coming off a year where there's this you know you know they, they get the early season bump um, the they walk into their to the season with some preconceived notions that they're really good. But UCF came off an undefeated season claiming national championships. And at whatever it was, 13 and 0 going into 2018. And they went undefeated in the regular season. They finished seventh. So I think there is so I think that is important. But I also think, and look, UCF, like their game against North Carolina that year got canceled, though North Carolina at the time I don't think was was ranked. So it wasn't that going to be a huge deal, but it was at least a Power 5 team. But they beat Pitt 45-14. I'm sitting here looking at their schedule. They beat Pitt, Pitt 45-14 that year. The only ranked team they played all of the year is Cincinnati, which they beat 38-10. to um, So I think you, you do have to have the, the previous season success but you also have to have, I think, power fives on your schedule. Hopefully, good power fives. And if you're if you're a, if you're a group of five team, like you better take your game on the road. Like don't sit there expecting people to come to you. Go out and earn it. So there's that. Um, and I think it. And then I think you know you just have to have a little bit of chaos elsewhere. So, but even with those three. Or four, if you just include sort of our right, general margin of victory and, and, and dominance within your conference. Even if those four things are met, I still think you are counting on a lot of other help from around the country. Yeah, I mean, look, you, your UCF example pretty much proves it. They they met almost all those criteria, right? They, they they beat Auburn in the bowl game the year prior. They started high in the rankings. They they went undefeated. They they won their conference. That I guess the only thing it's it's missing is you know a dominant win over like a good P5 team, as you mentioned, UNC got canceled, but they're, I think that was the year that Fedora got fired anyway, if I recall. Um, mm-hmm. And they probably played a, a few too many close games. You know, like the games that, not even single score, although 31-30 over Memphis was was fairly close. I mean, 35-24 I remember that maybe. one. They, they were fortunate to win. They, like, they barely, they, they were fortunate to get out of that Memphis game alive. 
They really should have lost it if I remember yeah. right. Yeah, and then you know they 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 revenged him in in the championship game, you know, fifty six forty one. This this UCF example kind of kind of helps drive it home because it, it really runs counter to, to my to my thought there. It, they, they meet almost all these criteria, uh, which probably strengthens our our argument for for going to eight. It, it would help keep more fans engaged throughout the year. I think if they thought like, hey, we're we're going to root for the plucky underdog here. We're, we're actually going to rally around this UCF team. As annoying as they were that year, the year prior, claiming that they were the national champions and all this stuff. Um, yeah, this is tough. We're just out here trying to save the sport, bud. You know, we just we're trying to save the sport of college football. I hope someone's listening. I, I do worry about this a little bit. You know, and I, I like I actually think I was listening to Jimbo t- talk around around the golf cart one, one year at one of those Jimbo camps, and I think he did this in a press conference too. But you know, he was talking about the importance of 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 basically ACC teams playing FCS teams. And it's a self-serving argument for sure cuz they do and and like the Big 10 does not play FCS teams. But he's making his point like look, that one game is a huge chunk of their revenue every year. And when they play like when that FCS team plays that game against that D2 school, that's a pretty good chunk of that D2 school's revenue for that year. And and the point is it's it's trickle down economics, which actually kind of works in college football, as flawed as this system is, um, and it trickles down to the high school level, is what he was saying. It's like, look, we 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 can't have a system where we only have these 100 teams playing college football at the scholarship level. Like we that 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 hurts high school football. That, that's going to decrease high school football. Like we need to have these kids in high school football thinking they can go ahead and trickle up to college on scholarships. Right, not everybody's going to go get to play for Alabama or A and M or Florida, and we, we need to make sure that 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 system stays healthy there. So I I do worry about the sport sometimes. The, the the model is is certainly far from perfect. I'm with you. Let's get it right. Should we take a break? Come back on the other side. Yeah, I, I think so. Let's do that. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, guys, uh, we are back. Barton, where do you want to go? You want to go uh, Auburn search, Burt Bielema, Clark Lee, mailbag? Let's, let's mess around with these coaches a little bit. Um, let's start with who's who's already been hired. All right, so first we got Clark Lee to Vandy. Um, I've, anyone that follows me knows that I am very much a believer in this hire. If, if you have, I watch... I watch um, introductory press conferences every. I watch every single introductory press conference every year. It's like my it's like my pet project, um, and I would encourage people, anyone, any coach, anyone that's interested in like leadership, anyone that's interested in you know college coaching and sort of um, how to articulate a vision. Like I, I, I think Clark Lee's press conference is a is a textbook example of like how to how to approach a new place and articulate a vision and um and convey a level of like substance. So I'm a believer there. I I think that's that's well known at this point. Um so I'm more interested. So anyways watch the presser. If if you're into that kind of thing, watch the presser. But bud, I'll I'll let you give your grade. I'm uh what are what is our uh, categories here? It's um Love it, get it, don't get it. So I, I'll go with the love it here. What's yours? 
Yeah, we, we decided this year to stop giving letter grades because I don't think any of us have the ability to grade these coaching hires with, with that sort of accuracy. Um, so, yeah. I, I can totally understand why why you give Clark Lee the, the Lovett grade. Um, and it is important to remember to grade these things on the curve of the job. I mean, Vanderbilt is coming off. They were probably the worst SEC team in my lifetime this year. They were 121st in offense, 118th in defense, and 118th in special teams on Conley's rankings. I mean, that's that's pretty – That's they, they got nowhere to go but up unless you're going to get down to UConn territory, uh, which is not going to happen. I, I, I think – I don't want to fall into the trap of thinking that you understand the program and the culture is the reason why you're going to succeed, but I do think that inherently understanding the culture and the program and knowing sort of some of the challenges and – who you need to go to to get help in certain areas uh, can help you avoid missteps and mistakes, which can torpedo you. So in, in some ways, I think that is a, a big draw of Clark Lee. He obviously played for them. He grew up there. He understands the the, the culture and, and what Vanderbilt's about and what it's, what it's not about. Um, and I want to grade this higher independent of the administration. Like Vanderbilt has not really been known for supporting its football program compared to other, other SEC schools. Now there's word that it looks like it's, you know, wants to invest more. We'll see if those reports are accurate. I mean, I skeptical, but obviously that, that money to get from the SEC checks has got to go somewhere at some point, right? Uh, so I, I'm I'm going to go with with an I get it. Uh, I, I think Clark Lee is a really good defensive coach. He's a good recruiter, and I think he's a really good developer of, of talent. Um, at the same time, we know – it's just a fact that defensive recruiting rankings are better than offensive recruiting rankings. Offensive success is more dependent on coaching than defensive success is because defense has a lot to do with height, weight, speed, and hustle. And it not that scheme is not important because it is. I think it's really important. But you know, as Mike Leach proves, except for this year, I guess, and, and a lot of these guys prove like you can you can coach your way above your recruiting rankings on offense. If you run a system, recruit to a system, et cetera. We don't see like top 20 level defenses in college football with like top 60 level recruiting, but we do see it much more often on the offensive side of the ball. So I'm going to go with a, a get it because he understands the culture and for the reasons I listed, but his success at Vandy is in large part going to be, can you do something that is, I think pretty outside the box. On offense, because um, you got to be a special prep. So I think I, that there's certainly a strong case to be made for that. I would, I would argue though, like there is this um, narrative that like, oh, if Vanderbilt isn't running like the triple option or something, that like they got no, or 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 some, you know, counterculture offense, then. They're they're just not going to have success in the SEC, and I think, and and obviously the um, the idea is they're going to be at a talent deficit. My only argument against that is when you look at the programs that, based on their um, academic challenges, that you would assume would be at a talent deficit, are primarily Stanford and Northwestern are the ones that have had success, and they've had success by being anything but sort of a counterculture. They've had success by playing great defense, um, controlling the clock, shortening games, being tougher and more disciplined, winning close games. And, and you, you know, there's other, there's other examples of teams like that, uh, whether it be, I mean, Iowa state has started to be a little bit more different on both sides of the ball than, than, you know, maybe some of those teams, um, but like Michigan State sort of tries to win in that same mold. I know that Michigan State and Vanderbilt, comparing the way those two teams are capable or, or can recruit or do recruit, is sort of very much apples to oranges. But I I do think that the idea that success at a place like Vanderbilt is dependent on like a a, a funky scheme. I'm not sure I agree with that. I understand your point, but I do think that there are examples of programs that win 
with that sort of like with, with the with the Vanderbilt sort of obstacles in in much more traditional ways. So I I, I see your your point there, but I would also point out that I, I think the divisions in in which Stanford and Northwestern play are are different than the sure. atmosphere that which Vanderbilt like 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 nobody recruits defense as a conference like the SEC. And so I, I think that you don't have to run something incredibly funky at Vanderbilt, but I think it needs to be something to where it requires a bit of special prep. And you need to catch, like in order to get SEC wins under Clark Lee, you're going to have to play really good defense, right? You're going to have to be disciplined. You're going to have to develop, develop the hell out of players. You're going to have to find some diamonds in the rough and win your battles locally for kids who, you know, maybe, like you're going to have to go down to Atlanta and get some of those kids at Stanford and Notre Dame pull out of Atlanta, right? Who are high academic kids like a Kyle Hamilton, right? Now you're not going to get Kyle Hamilton over Notre Dame, even if you have Clark Lee, probably. I mean, unless he has a special relationship with a kid already or something, but those type of kids, right? The type of really high academic kid that gets plucked out of the Atlanta area or Nashville or Charlotte or whatever. It's like, look, man, you don't have to go out to Stanford. Nash or Vandy's a really good school. Um, you know, you're, you, you went to Yale, obviously. You, you understand the draw of you know of of the high academic you know nature there, um, but I do think you need to catch people sleeping with what you run on offense. To where if they don't take you seriously during the week, Vandy can catch them for a win. I think if you're running an offense that relies on you beating p- people physically, uh, as much as other SEC teams rely on on beating people physically, offensively, I think that's problematic because I just I, I don't know. I don't know that even if you do a really good job recruiting there, or, you know, is is Vandy able to get that that level of talent? Maybe it is. I, I that's why I'm going with the kid. I, I want to see who he hires on offense. Sure. All right. Uh, next up, Brett Bielema, Illinois. Love it, get it, don't get it. I was gonna go don't get it, but I, I can't. I, I have to go with get it. I I don't love it. Um, Again, this is like we just talked about about Vandy, and I don't want to compare Illinois and Vandy because Vandy's had more success as a program, I think, kind of recently with with uh, with Franklin. But Bielema runs an offense that is absolutely contingent on pushing people around, and Illinois generally has the worst roster in the Big Ten West, and he's not known as an amazing recruiter. So I don't really know what, what has he learned with his time with, with the Patriots and, and, you know, with, with where he's been and, and shadowing people. Uh, we saw him at a place with a talent deficit relative to the rest of the league at Arkansas. And he went 11 29 in the sec one winning year in the sec at five and three. I mean, even if you take out that zero and eight it, it, in year one coming off Petrino, it's still not pretty. I, is he using kind of overdog tactics in an underdog situation? Because if so, that usually ends really badly. Um, but he's a name. He's a big name. And that's apparently what their AD wants. So I think like college football is, is can be so cruel because Brett Bielema has turned into such a meme. Like he is, it's, he is, he's almost like this sort of, kind of a, a running joke, like almost, you know, and, and, and very much in the same mold as like Butch Jones has or had become. And, and so when you, and when you, and look, I get it. He let, he was, he was 11 to 29 in the SEC, but, but that was in the SEC West. And that was like really at the height of SEC West dominance too, in terms of just like how, how good that division was playing at the time. You know, Dan Mullen was in Mississippi State, LSU was LSU, Alabama's Alabama, Auburn, you know, was, was uh, what a playoff contending at that point. Um, so I, I, and, and like, this is a coach that has had success at Wisconsin, significant success at Wisconsin. Um, he had, and what he won three Big Ten championships at Wisconsin. Um, he had, and really, like he had Arkansas heading in the right direction early in his tenure. I think he he got away from it a little bit when he 
lost some of that identity offensively. And they kind of started like they, they were a little bit of the team that he was recruiting big offensive linemen. Sam Pittman was his offensive line coach. They were really developing strong at that position. It was sort of this destination spot for big uglies. And they kind of had some good things going. And then it just started, started to turn south and they lost their identity. And Dan Enos was their offensive coordinator and throwing it around 40 times a game. And you kind of forgot who they were a little bit. But all that to say is, so I'm on the get it camp. Um, because I think you like initial responses. Oh, Brett Bielema, like, you know, he had his, he had like a reality TV show or something for a minute. And like, he's kind of goofy in press conferences. And like, he's just like, there's this aura that's, that's grown around him. That's kind of not coaching, not football stuff. But if you really look at what his resume and what he's accomplished, I do think that there is stuff there that makes you think like, this is a good hire for Illinois. The, you know, the thing that for me in looking at this job opening, like I still think Lance Leipold is, is a, is a stud that would like be really good at a power five gig. And so I'm a little like the reason I don't love picking Brett Bielema over Lance Leipold, but I do get it. And I, and I do understand the, um, I understand the pick and I think he's got a chance to be successful. I don't, I think there might be a, maybe a lower ceiling on it than, than some others, but I do think he's, he's got a shot to be successful coach there. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that Bielen will, will be a bad coach in Illinois. I, I think his record is, is actually that he's a good coach. I just question like at Wisconsin, he took over a pretty ready-made program in 2006. Barry Alvarez's fingerprints are still all, over the Wisconsin program. I mean, if, if you run what Barry Alvarez ran at Wisconsin, yeah. for whatever reason, it seems like it still works out. It's almost like Barry Alvarez is actually kind of the shadow coach, if you will. And I mean, like there are kind of whispers about that in the industry. Not, not that he's coaching at practice or anything like that, um, but that he's, you know, he's not pulling the Fulmer, uh, but that he's still very involved and it's set up to succeed. In fact, the only guy that really didn't have great success there was somebody who was trying to do something kind of different, and that was Gary Anderson. And he seems to have his own, you know, list of issues. My question is: Can is is, is Brett as good of a coach if he doesn't have the talent advantage? And this is kind of the second straight job where everybody you play in a given year in your division is going to be out recruiting you, I think, or pretty close. Same thing at Arkansas and the SC West. Like the only team that you really recruit with on par is Mississippi State. Old Miss AM, LSU, Bama, Auburn are all going to have more talent than you on a year to year basis. Uh, but I, I think this can work. That, that's, that's why I'm, I'm in the get it camp. Um, it does concern me a little bit that I, I wonder if their AD is just going for, for big names at times as opposed to the guy who could be the best coach because he went and he I got Lovey Smith. Did Whitman hire Lovey Smith? Yeah. He did, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that and that very much reeked of like, oh, look at this big, look at this name I got. Yeah, and I think that's a that is a mistake in coaching hires. Kind of like the guy who hired Les Miles at Arkansas, or excuse me, at at, at Kansas for sure, uh, is the same guy who hired Bielema at Arkansas. Yeah, look at look at me walking into town like I got. Look at this guy I'm about to pull for y'all, and it's just not men like that, ain't it? That's not how you. That's not how you turn this thing around. Culturally, though, I mean. Bielema, what he has, he has the Hawkeye tattoo. He knows the area. He knows the region. I, I think he could recruit relative to his division. I think he can recruit better at Illinois than he could recruit at Arkansas. I, I think that will, I think it'll be fine. I just, I don't know what, what is success at Illinois? I guess it is, is an interesting question here. Bowls, probably, a bowl game. Right? Sure. I mean, I'm tr- like you I'm can't have, think. you can't expect that much more. I mean, look, they've had their moments of, of, and and I think within those moments they're recruiting really well in Chicago area and 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 I and then I do like Brett Bielema right off the jump has apparently like called the head of the Illinois High School Football Association and he's like making like that was like one of the first things he did checking and, some boxes here yeah like he's making sure that in-state recruiting is a significant priority um, but uh, but yeah I think Bowles. Just bowls is kind of all you really need to hit. 
Well, uh, from Illinois to another team that wears similar colors and where bowls are not acceptable. Uh, Auburn does not have a head coach as of Monday morning at about 1020 Eastern time. As we get further and further away from the firing, I I, I have more doubts that Kevin Steele is going to get this job. I don't think that that you fire Gus Malzahn to wait two weeks and then hire Kevin Steele. Yeah, I mean that. It seems like that was uh, seems like the boosters wanted that, and the boosters almost got their man like right out of the gate. It sounded like, and then cooler heads, or however you want to phrase it, pumped the brakes, made sure they went through their due diligence, and it seems based on the reporting of folks in the know, including. Auburn Undercover, our 24-7 Sports Auburn site, is doing a great job with this deal. Um, seems like Billy Napier is emerging as potentially a, a favorite or the lead dog, maybe. Um, in fact, Kevin Steele, the report's coming out today, or Kevin Steele is just flat out out. Um, so, Billy Napier, who allegedly, like, I got to depend on who you ask, South Carolina picked Shane Beamer over him. Or he turned down South Carolina. Either way, if Billy Napier manages to get this gig, it's uh, it it you know he he played his cards right because I think I think Auburn is a better gig than South Carolina. It could also be that Napier didn't push hard for the South Carolina job, and maybe kind South of knew Car- in the back of his head like yeah, I want it, but I, maybe this isn't my best interview because I'm I've got some. Got some reservations deep down. Pruitt's losing games on the regular Tennessee. Auburn could open, you know, heck, what what if LSU goes completely sideways here in my own state? So maybe South Carolina did pick Shane Beamer over him, but maybe Napier didn't give them a lot to like, um, you know, potentially. That, that, that could be a third right. option there. Right. Um, man, I my first thought here is we are seeing a positive impact, I think, of the transfer portal because we're not seeing teams – wait until after National Signing Day as much to fire their head coaches in order to lock in these recruits. Because now if you do this, A, I think the public pressure to let these kids out of their letters of intent has never been greater. And B, if you do double-cross them and you fire the head coach just a couple days after after signing day, they're just like, all right, peace, I'm transferring. You know, I, I'm going to go. So like that was kind of the first thing that popped in my head. I, I pulled up Auburn's recruiting ranking. They're, they're 41st in the country. They only have 13 kids, so they're, they're going to add a couple more. Mm-hmm to the class, both from the high school at JUCO and in the transfer portal. But that's that's kind of a, a cool impact this year. You, you're not going to see, I don't think, quite as much head coach firings you know, post-early signing period given, given the transfer portal. Um, Napier knows how the game is played, if it is going to be Napier. He has worked for Saban. He's worked at Clemson. He's recruited in the Southeast. Uh, he's, I believe, been a play caller to the extent you think that's important. He's also been a head coach, which I think is more important than, than having been a play caller. He knows how to recruit. He's uh, not won a conference title, I think, but gone to the conference title game a couple times now. Although I guess they share it with Coastal this year, technically, because the game got canceled. Yeah, technically, yeah, even though Coastal beat him. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's kind of weak sauce. But still, I, I, I think Napier is doing a really good job there at, at Louisiana. Um, he's thought of highly in the industry. He's a very motivated recruiter. He's an organized guy. I think this could be a really good hire for them, if, if that's who it is. I'm a believer in Napier. I think he is. I think he's the right mix. And I feel like I've said this a few times, so sorry if I'm repeating myself. But I think he's the right mix of new school, old school. Um, he is. He's got the saving blueprint. He knows. He knows the way. A, pro, a high level program should operate. He knows about player development, strength and conditioning. He knows about recruiting at the highest level, um, and yet I think he he ha- he also understands and has um, the Dabo approach ingrained in him as well. The like, you know what? This is going to be a place that coaches want to work. This is going to be an atmosphere that's positive. This is going to be a family environment, um, you know, more so than like the business cutthroat approach that that maybe you might find elsewhere. And so. I like the I like the balance that he brings. Um, I mean it it's it's very like it's a very enticing picture presented as 
Dabo and Sabin, um, like the, these these sort of dual impacts from a formative standpoint on his coaching. Like, why wouldn't like what's not appealing about that? And he's an offensive guy, and so he can like he is go he is he is bringing his offense with him, and I think that's always um, comforting to know that like you're you know what you're, you're not going to be at the mercy of offensive coordinators leaving every year. Auburn. Auburn might have would have liked that under Gus Malzahn instead of having the Gus Malzahn hand on the offense forever eternally. But I think I think Billy Napier is a little more adaptive than that. I I would agree. Um, let's remember what what Auburn defines success as here. The reason I was told that they fired Gus was that they didn't think they had any momentum. They were they were losing ground recruiting the state of Georgia, and they were losing important battles like George Pickens, you know Justin Ross. Auburn's going to evaluate Billy Napier or whomever they hire based on his ability to get the right head, right assistant coaches around him, based on his ability to organize the boosters and be, uh, quote unquote, all in in the recruiting process. And we all know what that means. And, you know, get their fair share of kids out of Georgia, not not allow Saban and Kirby to have right of first, first refusal on every big time kid and, you know, not lose quite as many battles to Clemson. Uh, and now LSU and in, in Mobile and, and areas like that. So that's that's a tough task. But Gus, Gus got paid twenty million bucks or however much twenty four or whatever it was uh, because he wasn't quite up to their standards. I, I'm not going to give a grade on this yet because I, I want to hear a little more about Napier and, and, and what the kind of plans are yet. Yeah, no, no grade. The the, um, the protocol is no grades until the hire goes like final. It. You know, that's a. It's a standard operating protocol that we've we've held ourselves to, but I mean, hell, this this whole thing could who knows what kind of twists and turns we still got in front of us. I mean, we 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 could end up with anybody, maybe somebody from the NFL. Who knows? Um, how much time we got left here? I think we I think we got it covered, man. Yeah, I, I think so too. Let's let's go ahead and do a, a mailbag episode next time, uh, and we'll also break down the, the playoff games, and that'll kind of get us through the new year. Normally, we'd have episodes on. Uh, like what are we doing at the Army All America or the uh, the All America Bowl? And uh, this year that's canceled, so a little bit little bit less in- info coming out uh, for us to talk about. So we'll focus a little more on football and recruiting. Um, five stars on, on iTunes, Apple Podcast. If you guys got it, make sure you're hitting the subscribe button. Also on Spotify and Google Podcast and basically wherever else you get your podcast. Tell your friends, grab your wife's phone, your husband's phone. Also give us five stars on there. Let's get us to eight hundred for the new year that'd be pretty cool for a first year show all right later hello everyone it's michael richards here you might have seen me on cbs working on their champions league coverage over the last couple of years i wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that i've been working on it's called the rest is football It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.